Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Hi guys, this is Joanne. So as promised, I am sharing with you today podcast episode 161, which is titled Intentions. So this is a podcast that I've been um, trying to put together for some time, but I wasn't entirely sure when would be appropriate. So now on the 6th of January in 2021, I think this is a perfect time for me to share this with you. So it's, um, I've got a lot to say and um, I'm hoping that it all makes sense, but I've kind of broken my thoughts down into sections. So I want to start off with the genesis, right? So in the beginning, so I think it's good to go back to where I'm from because where I'm from has a lot to do with this platform and what I'm trying to achieve. So remember the title of this is Intentions, okay? So about me, I was born, for those of you that don't know, I was born and raised in the Caribbean and my country is called St. Kitts and Nevis. However, I was not born and raised in St. Kitts and Nevis. My parents migrated to the Virgin Islands, namely St. Croix. So the Virgin Islands is divided into two, okay? You have the British Virgin Islands and you have the American Virgin Islands. So that's a little history lesson for you there. And St. Croix falls into the U.S. category. So St. Croix is where I was born and raised. So I like to create, I've created uh, this little cute name for myself, Kittishan Crucian, whatever that means. But I mean, I identify as a West Indian, right? A West Indian of African descent. So growing up, Um, there was always a sense of not fitting in either place, not fitting fully in St. Kitts, not fitting fully in St. Croix. And I know quite a few people that can relate to that, right? Um, And that's because contrary to what most people may believe about the Caribbean, we are not homogenous. We are small nation states, yes, but despite being small states, um, there is much heterogeneity amongst us. So cultures differ, languages differ, lifestyles differs, and traditions differ. So there's a lot of variety. We're not all the same. Um, 
Does that mean there are no similar threads? Uh, of course not. There are similarities. So as much as there is variety, there's also similarity. Um, to the point, right? Being a Crucian, people from Sinclair call Crucians, uh, whose parents were from St. Kitts meant being different, right? Um, so growing up to Crucians, that was, okay, so your parents are from the islands. That was a thing people used to say back then. Um, or when you're in St. Kitts, it's sort of like, oh, you're Americanized. And anybody who knows anything about the the U.S. Virgin Islands knows that uh, we're, we're American on paper, but we actually have our own culture. But you have to be there to know that, right? But that's something that people in St. Kitts used to say. So I believe much of this has changed today. But when I was growing up, these attitudes were very potent and they were the norm, right? So obviously having these experiences, they shaped my view of my identity. Now, obviously I identify culturally as a West Indian, West Indian of African descent. My ancestors do come from Africa. Um, there are some other ancestries in there, but for me, I just identify as somebody whose ancestors just come from Africa, right? Um, I never really fit on one side or the other, but I always, some somehow I just kind of fell in the middle. So I think um, being in the middle is something that I've perfected really well as an adult, and it's become one of my superpowers. We'll talk more about that later. But anyway, there's a saying, right, that we view the world based on where we stand in it. So I think that standing in the Caribbean gave me a view of the world through a certain prism, obviously from a certain perspective. So taking this thought a little bit further, I think I'd say where you stand is also what you see. So at times, what you see is what you believe, right? So with that in mind, I always knew that the world was bigger than the Caribbean. I always knew that. And I always knew I would leave the Caribbean. I always knew. So um, when I was a little girl, my mother got me a National Geographic subscription. I was about eight years old when my mother got this for me. And I was obsessed with these subscriptions. I mean, I remember back then, everything was by snail mail, right? So you had to wait every month to get these things. I remember the we used to get the the comics and everything. But either way, I was always looking forward to National Geographic. So I'm eight years old. I started getting National Geographic. And I would read these um, magazines from beginning to end. Um, oftentimes, I'd read them more than once. I was always hooked on the maps, OK? Because I'm, a, I'm an ardent map collector. I have a vast map collection today. And it all started with these National Geographic magazines I used to get. And I used to tear out the maps and put them all over the walls in my bedroom. And uh, my mother used to hate that, but I used to do that. And I would memorize the countries and I draw the flags. And I remember vividly um, the dissolution of the USSR and the breakup of Yugoslavia. I remember that time because I remember it was in National Geographic. And I remember my dad got me a piece of plywood board and I drew all the new countries of Europe on this board. Yes, I, I was that child. I obviously didn't have friends, right? So <laughs> as the Caribbean was my reference point, I would always wonder what it was like for all these island states, right? Because you have so many island states um, in the Caribbean region. Some are dependent um, on, on various powers. Some are independent. I mean, there's just so much, uh, I think there's like a, a balkanization of, of the Caribbean. And then I'm looking at 
through through National Geographic and looking at these maps and drawing all these new countries that are halfway across the world. And somewhere in my mind, I couldn't reconcile the two. I was just thinking, how is this possible? You know, how is it that you can have such extremes? And I didn't know it at that time, but I think somehow having those experiences, that map, reading these maps, drawing these countries, comparing it to where I lived, all of that somehow planted a seed, which eventually led to who, not just who I am today, but what I am actually doing today and what I'm doing with this platform. And you'll see what I mean when I, when I get more into this story. So at that moment, I began questioning what is the validity and what is the veracity of of the ease to which countries are created and dissolved, right? So what is a border? What exactly is a border? So borders are artificial lines. I mean, these are lines that I drew on the plywood board that my father gave me so I could draw the new countries that came out of the USSR and, and Yugoslavia. Well, what was Yugoslavia, right? And these were, I felt the same lines that would make people in St. Kitts and in St. Croix question what was real? What was the real me? What was it? What was it? What was it to be Krushan or what was it to be Kitishan, right? I didn't see any difference between these things. So here I am many years later and I'm building this platform that I believe should be borderless and trustless. And I have a lot of people in my circle who find this inconceivable. And I understand that because I think for them, borders represents their identity, their family, their culture, and maybe thousands of years of history for them, right? But for me, I think that borders don't erase your identity or your culture or your history. I mean, as a matter of fact, we know that prior to the creation of the modern nation state, many civilizations lived without defined borders. Most borders were created as a result of colonialism or violence or for protection, right? So they are for the most part political and they really don't serve any other purpose other than to enforce or to purport power. Um, I think that's mostly how, how we understand borders to be. So my intention with Rare Birds is to create an entrepreneurial ecosystem which is trustless and borderless. So I think that unlike nation states in the physical form, which are driven by ideology and politics, you have those on the internet that are driven by technology and innovation, right? Because uh, once upon a time, a business, any, any kind of business transaction that we did, it was done via these artificial borders. Like for example, when we would order, when my mom ordered National Geographic for me, I used to have to wait weeks and weeks. You used to have to go into the post and wait and wait and wait. Like this is how transactions were done. Now it's just online, right? You get a digital copy. But we needed to physically be in a place to transact. But now we use our mobile phones and we exchange in a click in real time from anywhere in the world, right? So everything has changed and continues to change. So what you and I used to read, for example, as science fiction, it's no longer science fiction. It's, we can say it's science fact, right? So why should this be any different for how we decide to transform ideas and build businesses? I think it should all be the same. I don't think there should be any main difference between the two. So now that everything is digitized, um, I think a lot of people are very nervous and they're constantly wondering, what does it mean for humans, right? 
And I think that this is something that I think about a lot since I'm building a very digital platform. I think that it just means that our humanness becomes more valuable. Um, it means that my role as someone who's building and leading this platform is to ensure that human qualities are amplified and that the ecosystem is vibrant and evolves to reflect what matters to the people in the ecosystem, or as I like to call you guys, rare ones, right? So the qualities that matter most in this ecosystem are things like creativity and empathy and imagination and emotions and ethics and intuition. I mean, there's nothing technical there because I think that as we become more digital, all the technical stuff is done by computers. So as human beings, we need to become more human. We need to amplify those things that make us human because the computers can't become human. They can simulate, but they can't be human. Computers are never going to be good at being human. Only we can be good at being human, right? So I don't think we should be scared about technology. We should not um, live in fear of technology or think that it's going to consume us. If anything, I believe that technology supports us to live better and to do better and to be better. And it's for improvement. So our role as humans is to ensure that we embrace the technology, but not become it. And we shape the technology and not allow it to, to shape us. So bringing this all together, I believe that if I build Raybirds as this place where early stage entrepreneurs from emerging markets can exchange in a peer-to-peer -peer trusted system, this means that the connections, the collaborations, and the growth are all a result of a direct experience that people are going to have with each other. Um, these are shared experiences and not transactions, right, between people. They're not transactional. Um, there's no third parties. There's no artificial borders like the ones um, that I drew on the play board of the USSR when it was dissolved. Or, or anything like that, you know, it's, it's all experience-based. And I believe that real power lies in being able to build and transform ideas on a platform where you hold the value, where you drive the value and not the other way around. So that was really the beginning, I think, and the genesis of, of everything. And, and um, I hope that makes sense. So yeah. So now I'm going to talk about, I'm going to try to, to dive into um, what I'm doing now and what that um, sort of, how everything that I'm doing now, what motivates me and what guides my decisions. So as you know, I live in China and I develop and deliver curriculum for an international academy for Chinese students, right? So essentially I work with the children of the elite, okay? I'm based in the business and technology department. And my focus is on introduction to business, entrepreneurship, technology, blockchain technology, etc. So I create and deliver curriculum in those areas. And I've been living in China since 2017. I love everything about my life in China and my experiences in China have been brilliant. I can't say anything negative about China and um, yeah, it's just been fantastic. So um, my students, my students, they challenge me a lot. They challenge me in unimaginable, unimaginable ways, I must say. And they've made me a better human being. Um, I think I have a level of patience that I did not think was conceivable. 
And although I don't consider myself a teacher in the traditional sense, I realize that working with young people requires a special kind of openness and a special kind of vulnerability that um, I didn't need or I didn't always have in my previous profession. And I'll get to my previous profession soon. So the work I do with my my students is very much connected to the work that I do with this platform and that it's entrepreneurship, it's technology, it's all of that stuff. So I quite like that I can connect the dots between everything that I'm doing and work on things that I believe in. But I should probably tell you about what I used to do prior to moving to China in 2017. So I used to have a career in the real estate and construction industry. I worked there for a decade um, in that industry, not there in one place, but in quite a few places. And I did a lot, as you can imagine, in that period. I worked and I traveled around the globe as a result of all the work that I did. I spent a lot of time with cranes and piling rigs. I love cranes. I love piling rigs. I think they're amazing pieces of machinery. Um, I love buildings. I, I love looking at buildings. Um, these machines, you know, they construct these are inspiring structures all over the world. So um, I don't work in that industry, but I still very much love love the the industry, the construction of buildings. So I can talk to you about piles. If you ever want to know anything about piles and piling, I'm happy to share if that's a topic of interest. Um, I know about the quality of soil needed to construct buildings. I spend a lot of time on construction sites, in design meetings, in law offices and architectural firms. Um, I know how buildings are put together. I know how to develop a bill cost. I know how to tender contracts. I mean, I've been privy to joint ventures um, that span continents, exciting stuff, you know. Um, I've done lots of like lunches with, with bankers, with real estate bankers. And it was an exciting career or seemingly so. Um, but the thing is, if I had stayed in that industry, I would know exactly where where I'd be right now, what I would be doing. I would even know exactly how much I would be making. It was it was very predictable. And I think the certainty of that made me very uneasy. Um, I think also that industry is very slow to modernize. And that often left me feeling a little bit unmotivated. And more importantly, I think after a while, I just got bored. I was bored, you know? So, you know, there is a point where, and most people who know this, there's a point where you kind of potentially exhaust your career tra trajectory in a particular industry. And then there's only so many lateral moves you can make until you realize, okay, you either go off and you start your own business or you, or you go into a new industry. But ideally, something has to happen, right? Because there's no longer a challenge. So for me, I just knew it was time to go and I just left. So um, on December 2014, I said goodbye. Um, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have a strategy. I just knew it was time to go. And um, I guess in hindsight, that was a huge risk. But at the time, it didn't seem like a risk for me. I mean, personally, I believe everything in life is about taking risks anyway. And I feel like the biggest risk is it's just not taking a risk, frankly speaking. So with that in mind, I took a risk. And I think the biggest risk I took was to just bet on myself, right? So um, 
that's what I did because life is a series of, of risks, taking risks. And I don't have a problem with taking risks. So I think my biggest fear is having regrets, like not doing things. So with that in mind, I just, um, I just did it. I just left. I moved on. So I had this idea lingering in my mind that summer. Um, it was the summer of 2014. And it had that idea eventually led to what I'm doing now. But um, the thing is, I'm very much motivated by these really big challenges. Um, I like solving problems. I like seeing things get fixed. I get excited about being a part of of big changes. You know, that's my thing. I'm not afraid to fail. I mean, failing is all a part of it. Um, but I believe that with the right intentions and supported by consistent actions, I'll always just somehow find my way. So I think that's why I've never felt like held back. Like I can't do something or I can't try something because I know that ultimately I'll just, it'll, it'll figure itself out. You know, I think there's, there's that saying, everything is figure outable. I really believe that. So my decisions are always well-informed by data and by facts, but truly they're guided by my intuition. I'm very intuitive. So I know what's right for me. I know what's right at what time. And despite, you know, strategizing and setting targets and all of those things, I know that we can set plans, but plans are easily thwarted. So I do plan, I do strategize, I do set targets, but I'm also very flexible. And I mean, moving to China wasn't planned. Leaving my previous career wasn't planned. But I've always been flexible enough to allow things to happen. And I think that's a really big part of, of who I am. And again, what I'm doing today, right? So moving on, um, I think it's best I share with you like what I have been doing behind the scenes and tell you a little bit of what has been happening. Cause I think sometimes people just see things, but they don't always know the story that's going on. So it's important to share, right? So going back to quitting. Okay. So December, 2014, I decided, okay, it's time to move on. So in the summer of 2014, I started attending a lot of entrepreneurial events. I mean, like I said, I was bored and, um, you know, after a while, the tall buildings get taller, but you don't get excited. And the big projects get bigger, but they're not exciting. You know, all the tall buildings and all the big projects and everything just seems kind of routine and monotonous after a while. So I'm in London because that's where I was living at the time. And these type of entrepreneurial events are everywhere in London. You know, you can attend so many different types of events. So I didn't really have a goal. I just wanted to see what people were talking about. I wanted to hear and see what entrepreneurs were doing. And there were a lot of tech events and social entrepreneur events. There was a lot going on. And the one thing that struck me about when I attended these events was how well these entrepreneurs were at sharing their stories and their experiences of building their projects. And I became really curious as to what it would be like if if we had those things like that in the Caribbean, or did we have those things in the Caribbean? Because I mean, I left the Caribbean when I was 18 and um, I've, I haven't, I've lived there since then for just like a year. But other than that, I just visit, right? So um, this is where my idea came from to develop this, this sort of platform. Again, it was just like a concept in my mind. Um, yeah. And I wanted it to be about places like where I was from, like the Caribbean or 
developing countries or we I say emerging markets now, but um, because those were the stories that were relatable to me. I mean, a lot of the stories that um, I read about or that I saw, or even the ones I heard in London, they were great, but not always relatable to me or my experience. So when I first started thinking about it, it was very female focused, but then I decided to change that because I didn't want the platform to be limited in that way. Um, so I just opened it to all genders, but, um, and that was mostly because I didn't think that a gender specific platform was really at the core of, of who I was and what I wanted. So I changed that. So I spent all of 2015 and half of 2016, just researching and interacting with a lot of entrepreneurs in London. Right. So I would do like profiles, but those who, who came from backgrounds that were, you know, outside of, outside of the Western world. And, um, I would do profiles I'd ask questions, ask them about their journey. And I would put them on this blog. I remember when I first started, I had this hideous blog. It was so ugly. It was like pink and, oh my God, it was a disaster. But these profiles, um, are now located on the magazine of the website, the current website. And I got some contribute, some contributors as well to, to, um, to contribute. So yeah, it was interesting. And I think that was this period where I was just focused on a lot of written content. I didn't start podcasting yet. And I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted. I just knew that I like profiling these people. So moving forward, I left London in the summer of 2016 and I had moved back to St. Croix. So, cause remember I quit in December, 2014. So from January, 2015, that was about 18 months. I was just living off my savings and doing things here and there. Brexit had happened and everything just kind of changed. And it was time to just make a move, you know, after 18 months, I needed to do something with my life, right? So <laughs> um, I think at that point, everybody was worried like, oh my God, what is she doing with herself? But I was guest lecturing and I would do workshops. I, I did a lot of things to keep myself, if anything, intellectually stimulated. But um, so I went home and in the summer, I was home for a year. In the summer of 2017, in St. Croix, I started the podcast. So that's when the podcast started. And that year, I was offered an opportunity to move here to China. So summer 2017 is when I also moved to China. Um, something else that happened was I found my designer and my business strategist that year. Shout out to Monique, um, who is from Barbados and based in Canada. And she created my first website. So that's when I moved from the ugly blog to the first website. And it was called Secret Birds then. It was a completely different name, right? So, <clears throat> and I think that's Secret Birds was when it was female focused, actually. So it was Secret Birds and not Rare Birds just yet. And I continued podcasting throughout 2017, right up until December of 2018. Um, in August 2018, I made it a legal entity and it became registered in the Virgin Islands. It was rebranded as Rare Birds and then Monique and her team uh, did their magic and they created the new website, which is what you see today, rarebirdshq.com. And um, throughout this period, I built a lot of relationships and I joined a lot of networks. So, so that period of 2017 to 2018, or maybe 2016 to 2018, I was just really um, immersed in a lot of like networks and and communities and so on and so forth. Um, 
I think I use a lot of my business development skills um, in Rare Birds that I gleaned from my previous career. I mean, although I didn't stay in the corporate world, I actually learned a lot there. One of the lessons I learned was from my first real estate director who told me that business was about relationships. And that's something that's always stuck with me and something I understand very, 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 very much now, more so than ever. I mean, I remember we would go to these lunches with his friends and these deals would be made. And it was just based on a long-term relationship and trust. I mean, whether it was lunches or playing golf, like things were just happening in the most casual of ways and it was just based on relationships. So that was a great lesson for me on the importance of relationships in business, in life generally, but in business, right? So yeah, the corporate world taught me a lot. But anyway, I collaborated a lot as well. You know, anybody who's been into Rare Birds, they should always hear me say, connect, collaborate, grow, connect, collaborate, grow, because I, I really believe in collaboration. I know there are a lot of people that they're kind of fearful of collaboration like they they prefer, they prefer to work on their own or maybe they, I don't know, people have different reasons why they don't like to collaborate. But for me, collaboration has always been successful. I've never had issues with collaboration. And I think that I learn and I grow more when I collaborate. And I just, I just think it's great. I think it's great. Um, so I collaborated a lot. And in doing so, I was able to build trust with a lot of different people and receive help from other people as well. Lots of help, lots of help. So back to the story. I didn't record any podcasts in 2019 because I was really unwell. And unfortunately, um, I just, I couldn't do it. But I did recover. And in December of 2019, I started podcasting again. So I went a whole year without podcasting. And I began with African student entrepreneurs in China. That was my first series um, of December 2019. So for that, from December 2019 to December 2020, that whole year, I produced a podcast a week, plus some additional ones. So there's like a total of 65 podcasts that I produced. I think there are a few episodes that I have that I didn't release, but that was the, the actual um, uh, number. And so I think this, in this particular period, um, unlike the first period where it was about the newsletter and the written content, in this particular period, it became about, about the podcast. So now let's move to 2020. In the first three months of 2020, I was in lockdown. January to March, I was in lockdown. And here in China, we were in lockdown for those first three months of the year. And I just spent a lot of time researching researching lots of different things every day in front of the computer. Um, I was researching blockchain in a very in-depth way, blockchain, the technology um, that I hadn't before. And I guess I just had a lot of time, you know, so I, I kept myself busy. I participated in my first hackathon, Hack Money Hackathon. Um, in the summer, I joined Gitcoin's Kernel, which is a block blockchain accelerator. Um, that accelerator was really hard work. It was an experience. I did a lot. I worked really hard. Um, I engaged and I met a lot of, I met a lot of really um, clever people, interesting people, amazing people, just really, really intelligent people. I made new lifelong friends and um, I managed to get myself in the top 20 list 
of the projects, which is really cool. And that that kind of gave me some, uh, I guess, some validation that some of my, that my ideas, because I have all these ideas in my mind of things that I want to create, were were kind of on the right path. Um, so, yeah. And what else did I do? I um, I created the token R ones. R1s, rare one tokens, which are built on the Ethereum blockchain. And that was all thanks to the wonderful team at Roll. Um, shout out to Bradley. Bradley is one of the co-founders of Roll, and he's an awesome guy. Um, he's always working to make sure that us creators are very happy and that we we understand everything. So that was a good experience. And I think if anything, 2020 just helped me to understand why this technology is very important to what I'm building and um, and what I'm trying trying to trying to achieve. So what now? So this is 2021 and I feel like a lot of the pieces have come together, you know, like where it all started to where it is now. And one of the reasons why I'm sharing this is because I think, people see a website or they see things, they see people and they just assume, um, they make assumptions, but there's, this has been an, an ongoing thing for a really long time. This has been a working progress, a slow working pro progress because, you know, a lot of people, they often ask me like, when are you going to go co-founder? When are you going to have a team? And when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And I think that, all of that will come into come into place at the right time. It's all intuitive, you know, but um, I feel like it was very important for me to, to understand what I was building and to get clear on what I was building and to just enjoy the process of building something. Like I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had to rush and like build, build, build and, and get it up in like, you know, a year and do this and do that. One thing I did do, I gave myself like a five, I like to do things in a five-year window. I don't know why I like five. I do a lot of, I plan in, in, in five-year durations. Um, and I know I told myself that if I didn't quite get clear on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to, to, I had the vision, but how to build the vision that I would move on. So um, still here, but I think, yeah, all the pieces have come together in terms of like the content and the writing and the podcasting and, and now the community building. And the focus for this year is just community podcast newsletter. It's just building on, on, on these foundations and just adding value, just constantly adding value through these exchanges, you know, exchanging ideas and thoughts on the conversations on the podcast. Um, exchanging about projects in the community, exchanging knowledge through the newsletter. Um, the community has a home, which is in Slack. I really like Slack because I like how it's it's well positioned, not well positioned, but well laid out. That's a better word, well laid out. And you can have conversations in there. And access to this community is granted through the tokens. I will talk a little bit more in another podcast about the tokens so that everyone can understand how those work and how you get access to them. And when you have those tokens, what that means. Um, in terms of the podcast this year, the podcast is gonna be done in series. It's all series. Um, I really enjoyed doing series last year because of all the deep dives. I love the deep dives. 
And just based on analytics, it seemed like you guys liked it as well. So there'll be four series this year, one for each quarter. So that'll be really cool. Um, the first one launches next week and you will be able to learn more about that very soon. Yeah, so it's launching next week. It's actually a collaboration that I'm doing um, covering a, a summit. And I think it'll be very interesting for you guys, particularly you guys who are interested in ideas and wanting to know what other people are doing, particularly people who are based at home, like so many people are. Um, it's a really interesting collaboration where I'm curating special podcast content for this summit. Um, it's different. It's new. It's one of the things that I'm doing. I mean, I don't do the traditional podcasting stuff, which is like sponsorships and advertisements. I do a lot of, uh, I see my podcasting as a skill, as a craft. And I do a lot of innovative things with it that I think um, offers value to you guys, and which is fun and interesting for me. So yeah, it's cool. So it'll be good to hear feedback on that. Um, more importantly, you're going to learn a lot in the process from the from the first series. Um, so look for it next week. The insights are going to be great as well. And for those that want more, you can definitely get more and you'll find out how starting next week. Um, the newsletter is also the new addition. Um, it's going to be long form, attached each week to a podcast. And it's just going to be filled with insights, you know. Um, this week's newsletter is just going to be an extension of what I'm saying here, as well as um, just look back on some of the podcasts that I did and, and why I did them. And again, share my intentions. And yeah, that's it. So I think that's about 30 minutes of a recording, my first recording, just speaking directly to you. I hope this all made sense. I really try my best to to put my thoughts together. So you guys will have to let me know. But that's it for me for now. Stay tuned for series one episode starting next week. Uh, there's going to be about five of them. I'd love your feedback. As always, you can find me on social, social media. You can send me an email. Everything is located on the website. And it was really good talking to you, um, with you, <laughs> not at you. And um, yeah, I look forward to doing more of these. I think these are cool. It's kind of bizarre not having any, anybody else on the other line, but I think these are necessary. So until next time, bye for now. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.